Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Twenty-five years after the collapse of the German Democratic Republic, filmmaker Petra Epperlein returns to the proletarian Oz of her childhood to find the truth about her late father's suicide and the rumored Stasi past. Had he been an informant for the secret police? Was her childhood an elaborate fiction? As she looks for the answers in Stasi's extensive archives, she pulls back the curtain on her own Ostaglia uh, and enters a parallel world of the security state. We're joined today by the co-directors of this wonderful new documentary called Karl Marx City, as well as the subject of the film, and that would be Petra Epperlein, as well, and the co-director, Michael Tucker. Petra and Michael, welcome back to Film School. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thank, thank you so much for being uh, being here again. And... Um, this is what I was saying to you. It's a wonderful film uh, and one that um, must have been challenging at times for you uh, as well because it's such a family uh, drama, family story, an intimate family story. Um, now, obviously, you've made many other documentaries together. Was there anything in, in, sort of in making this particular film that was different some, from your other work besides uh, the obvious uh, subject matter? What was it about this particular documentary that would distinguish itself in terms of the production or the, the approach? Well, it was uh, the very first time that we uh, ever made a personal um, story. All the other films were about other people, so we decided to talk about me and my family, which was which was relatively difficult to start with, and also the story is very tragic, or the personal element of the story is pretty tragic. So um, it took us a long time to embrace that and tell the story. And maybe Michael would like to talk about yeah. how challenging it was to um, film his mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, usually we've made films about um, people not close to us. And, you know, telling a personal story is very difficult. And you know, this story focused on, you know, Petra and the death of her father and the suspicions about the Stasi brought her mother into it and that sort of forced, you know, put me in a position as a filmmaker where I also had to deal with my mother-in-law mm -hmm. and getting her to open up on camera. And also with my co-director, Petra, you know, she's on camera, you know, getting her to a comfortable place. Michael, Michael, your volume is, a, you're fading kind of in and out of on your volume. I don't know if there is a particular reason, but sorry. Just want to let you know. Um. Uh, so, okay, well, and by the way, I should mention some of your previous work, and one of my favorite documentaries uh, is uh, The Prisoner or How I Planned to Kill Tony Blair. You've also done Gunner Palace, uh, Bulletproof Salesman. You've done a number of films, and as, and as you said, it's about somebody else. Obviously, the, the, the challenges of being in a situation like that, an intimate situation with uh, your mother-in-law, Petra, with your mom, it was... Was she, how was she? Was was it was it a tough sell for for you and to uh, talk her into being a part of this? Yes, um, not only because she has never done that before, but also the subject matter talking about 
the um, time behind the wall and the whole aspect of trying to find out if my father actually worked for the Stasi or not. Mm -hmm. That is um, relatively uncomfortable territory to go to, and also the whole aspect. Uh, my father committed suicide um, 17 years ago, and um, of course this is all painful to go back and revisit uh, many of these elements. So my mother was very reluctant in the beginning, especially towards the fact to go and find out if he actually worked as an informant for the Stasi or not. But I was able to convince her to go to the Stasi archive and ask for her file. Mm -hmm. I don't know, um, it's probably not known, but the Stasi archive, um, everyone has a right to their own file, so everyone can go there and ask for a file that the Stasi might or might not have kept on them. Well, but it took my mother a, a long time to, to um, get around to do this because she her approach was, what if I find out something which will not be comfortable to know? Yeah. Well, let, let's back up, and I, I, don't, I don't think I've done justice to explaining the Stasi. Be, I mean, and, and it, the film from the very beginning, from the opening frame, is gives the viewer a, a sort of an insight into just how controlled the society was the East German. Now, for a lot of people who were born after the time the wall came down, this is this is ancient history, but they, when East and West Germany were split, and one, one side was the communist government and the other side was the more Western-style government, and, and but on the East side, East German side, it was a, to describe, if you will, just sort of the, the, the extent to which the Stasi kept tabs on people in East Germany. Yeah, so uh, the ruling party was the Communist Party. It was an oppressive regime. And to keep people in check, the uh, party employed the secret police, the Stasi. And the incentive was to collect um, information preemptively so you could control the population completely. And um, there was a saying in East Germany, whenever there were three people together, one of them was reporting for the Stasi. So they were basically all present. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that our lives were not normal. You know, mm -hmm. when, when you talk about a normal life, I had a normal childhood. I was a teenager. We had parties. I had boyfriends. I went to university. It seemed all quite normal, but there was a the constant threat and presence of the secret police, and you always adopted your your life to that. You were thinking, what would you say in, in private and what would you say in public? That was always a, a, a presence. And, and your mom describes very, in some similar terms. She, she, you know, there were some concessions that were, that were made because she wasn't and your father wasn't, were not in the party, if I get that right. I think they were non-party members, and that did limit access to certain economic opportunities it sounds like uh that was that definitely had an impact but lived as you say a normal family life and for in all in many other aspects is that a fair characterization well yes my my father actually was a party member oh, I'm because sorry. like the position he had in 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 his company he would not have been able okay. he was one of these many i think there were two million party members or more many of the people who just became party members to advance their careers right. or to do things that was a common thing. So I confronted my mother with questions about how they as adults 
could go along with the regime for such a long time. I mean, it existed for 40 years, mm. which is, of course, uncomfortable. And so her response was, yeah, our lives were just totally normal and we weren't really affected by any of these things. But I don't really want to spoil what yeah, happened no, in the film, I but actually yeah. she finds out yeah. truths about yes. her life which uh, in East Germany, which she didn't know, and it was actually a pretty big shock yeah. for her and also for the rest of the family. Michael, uh, obviously, uh, I'm just curious, in terms of your understanding uh, of this era uh, in uh, in the history of East Germany. How familiar were you going into this project about the extent to which Stasi was run, you know, all the, all the things that we find out in the film? Was this something that you were very familiar with? Well, I mean, we've lived together yeah. since 1994. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I lived for a very long time um, in the eastern part of Germany, so I had a familiarity, but I think as far as the family story... It was always lingering in the background. There's sort of like two versions of history. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of like the the rosy version, and maybe there's the the harder to accept version. And at the time when I moved to Germany in in '95, I mean, uh, East Germans were still struggling sort of with the past and coming to terms with it. And so that's that for me was the incentive to make the film. You know, not just not just for the family, but sort of for the history to kind of set it. It is set it in the correct frame. Yeah, and it's it's so today. Germany is just Germany, and it seems to be doing well economically, socially. I know at the time that the wall came down, and for probably when you're talking about ninety four, ninety five, there was still some consternation about the uh, uh, how well Germany was reintegrating people from the east because they came from a less industrial industrialized society, and the west was more advanced in some other, you know, some other aspects of, of society. And, uh, you know, what was, I'm curious, uh, just what was that transition? Like had by 94, 95, had that started to become more normal or were there still some issues regarding the reunification of Germany? Either one, uh, Michael or. Well, I mean, the issues started immediately after reunification. I mean, you have to imagine that all of these East German factories, and it was a very industrial country, all these factories were sold or shuttered. People lost their jobs. Um, People didn't know unemployment. So there was, there was suddenly sort of like a drift in this new reality. And that's something that you often don't hear. I mean, I think from the American or Western perspective, when we talk about the fall of the Berlin Wall, we see people up on the wall and people chipping away at the wall. And it's sort of this great moment for a lot of people, though, you know, it turned their lives upside down. So, and I think that's still, you know, still to this day, um, you know, it's it's very much present. You know, the new generation, of course, is it just knows a unified Germany, but I think for... Certainly people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, it's still very present. Right. Well, I remember at the time the wall came down that there were reports. You'd see news reports of people in East Germany who weren't happy. And it's just what ran so counterintuitive to the things that here in the United States we've been hearing for decades, that these people yearning to be free, which I have no doubt was true. uh, But also there was this kind of acceptance, but there was a it was normalized for this for them. And as well as they had families and lives and everything else that went along with it that were they were happy enough and your and Petra your your family was happy it sounds like in so many ways uh that uh 
Well, must have been jarring, yeah, as your mom even talks about in, in the film, how, how it was jarring for her as, as well. Um, yes, I mean, life was pretty normal. In, in yeah. I already said that it was yeah. pretty normal yeah. in, in the East. So, yeah. I pretty much had the similar life. The only thing uh, what was missing was the freedom to travel. I mean, we could travel only in the Eastern Bloc, and there were many many products we couldn't get, like Levi's jeans, for instance, <laughs> or like other really desirable things, what a teenager needs to survive. Um, yeah. But what you just said about when the wall came down, it's actually an interesting, it's an interesting aspect because, you know, finally, after 40 years, people mustered all their courage and they went to the street and protested and brought a regime down and they overcame their fear of the half a million Russian soldiers who were stationed in East Germany, but then the regime was gone, and the next thing they knew, uh, they lost their jobs. Yeah. And yeah. that was really tough because unemployment wasn't even a concept what, what, what yeah. people knew in, East, in the East. So they uh, had to reinvent their lives, which was really difficult for many people. I mean, not for me. I was young. For me, it was perfect. But like my parents' generation, that was... A difficult time. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Petra Epperlein and Michael Tucker, the, the co-directors of the film Karl Marx City, and it is opening today here in Los Angeles. Um, what has been? Well, I, I I want to be a little careful about where I go with our my questions about too much about the film, but uh, you you mentioned it earlier. It was the the suicide of your father that prompted you this journey to begin for you. Um, and I don't know how much you want to, and you know, in terms of what you knew about your father and what you found yeah. out about your father, but um, what's been sort of the, you know, the 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 ramifications of what was discovered to your family to this? I mean, in, in terms of your relationship with your mom, and and, and yeah. I'm just kind of curious. It's in the film. A lot of this is touched on in the film but how how are you doing how are you and her uh today oh we're all <laughs> we're all good <laughs> okay. it was a good journey we went on to and although everyone was reluctant before and uh, whatever we found in the Stasi archive was was kind of tough i think everyone is happy that we did it and now at least we know um the truth or some version of the truth at least i mean the thing was when after my father committed suicide maybe i can tell that uh, he we found out that he had received a series of anonymous letters in the early 90s right after the wall came down and these letters had accused him of having worked for the stasi and of course that was a shock for us and basically what we do in the film we are going into the stasi archives and we are talking to people trying to find out if there's any truth about that mm -hmm. and we do find various things out over the course of the film mm -hmm. and yes my mother and my brothers also although they had some painful mo moments which you can also watch in the film yes i think they're all glad that we did that well that's that's wonderful to hear and as painful as these things can be Coming out on the yeah. other side of it is, you know, is hopeful. There's always some hope, measure of hope to moving forward, uh, and that's wonderful to see. And, uh, and by the way, you're a, you know, you're as our guide in the film. Uh, I thought you did, were just a wonderful presence in the film. Um, obviously, painful at times, but at the same time, I, as for a, as someone in the audience, 
being able to relate to you and, and, and your story. It's really quite moving um, film in that regard as well. Um, I want to. I mentioned that it's opening here in Los Angeles. I, I want to identify it's at the Lemley Monica Film Center, and that's in Santa Monica. Uh, and it's opening today. I I didn't. I should have asked you before. Are you in town for any Q and A's? Are you, or, or are you? Am I reaching you in in? Uh, I'm in the Hudson Valley in New York. Oh, you are in New York. Okay. Okay. I'm not in sunny California right now. <laughs> okay. Well, I just wanted to make sure if you were, I'd, I'd definitely let, you know, people should get down there. It's always wonderful um, to, uh, you know, the question and answers are always good. But the reception to the film has been quite wonderful. The, the reviews have been absolutely spectacular. And um, obviously, since this is such a personal story that must, you know, really resonate with you as in terms of you've done great work in the past. It's not a surprise that you, you, you have both turned out such wonderful work before that this is such a great film as well. But how does it, is, this, is there sort of a personal component now to seeing people talk about your film in such wonder, you know, glowing terms? Is there, does, does that matter to you? Uh, oh yeah. That, I, I, I think before I wasn't even aware of how nervous I was putting um, not only myself, but also my mother and like this whole intimate family story into a film and putting it out there. And um, I'm, I'm so happy that uh, it is received or is being received so, so well. And actually people go out and watch the movie, which is amazing. It has been showing at Film Forum in New York for almost four weeks now, and people go and watch it. And there's a conversation. It sparks a conversation because the film is not only to communicate that story, but it's also talking about memory and history and how do we deal with it, not only on a personal level within a family, but also as a society at large. And we live in such, um, how do you say it, exciting times right now? Yes. Where these kind of things <laughs> become more and more important when a president wins an election based on making America great again. I don't know what he's referring to. You know, it's important to think about our history, not only the history my East German history, but history at large. What does it actually mean? Where do we come from? And, 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 and what do we want to achieve in the future? Well, so I'm really, really happy that many people watch the movie. Well, that's excellent. And, uh, and it, you're absolutely right. We, we now realize, I think, in ways we didn't realize before, that it really does matter who you vote for for president. There are real ramifications. I think we spend a lot of our time uh, in, in in a democratic society hoping that government is sort of uh, is something sort of visceral, something that's removed from our daily lives. And I think we're coming to a realization that uh, more increasingly, more and more, no, actually it can have a direct impact on your daily life. And, and you better be careful, you know, the choices that you make. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's actually interesting having grown up in a system which was not democratic, and although there were elections also, but they were truly just a farce. And then now living in a democracy, I think it's really important that people realize that they uh, have a responsibility to take part in the democratic process, because as you just said, it really does matter uh, what the outcome of these elections is. So everyone it can function only if like everybody or most people take part. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, important. Well, congratulations on the film. I want to also let people know that they can go to your website for the film, and that's com. Find out more about it. 
uh, and we're screening again. It's uh, also playing. Your Hudson, your is playing in your area uh, as well at yeah. New York. And uh, and one last question for you: um, What was your mom's reaction to the film um, first time she saw it? Oh, my mom cried a lot, of course. Okay. But um, she's also really happy. I think she likes. She also likes the way she looks like. <laughs> <laughs> well, she looks good. You're, she's right about that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing a very personal story with, with us as an audience and both of you for your continued work uh, going back so so many years now, going back to Gunner Palace and The Prisoner and uh, so many great works and continue to do what you've been doing. Uh, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure uh, watching Great filmmakers make great work. So thank you for your for this. Well, thank you. And uh, Michael and Petra, thank you so much for being here on Film School. The film, again, is Karl Marx City. You can see it at the Lemley Monica Film Center here in uh, Santa Monica, California. And go to the site, karlmarkcity.com, to find out more. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.